first time as well do live. Uh... For me too. <laughs> we are live. Hi everyone. I'm really excited to host Hyans and Una on my show. I got to know about no one as one project from last year on blockchain for construction consortium and i was awed by the research work the demo the output it's an incredible inspiration to the whole aec industry about the potential of blockchain in construction so i really appreciate your time and support uh, to share your process and journey with us on this interview thanks it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. So first, uh, Jans, can you walk us through some of your uh, career highlights till date? How you started? What got you interested in blockchain? Um, yeah, I guess that's the similar story as with most people that are in blockchain right now. Um, I have a background in civil engineering, so I started, studied civil engineering in my bachelor's and in my master's. And at one point, I knew that I don't want to be just a classical structural engineer in an office. And I got more interested in the management and process side and technology side of construction. And, and also the business aspects. And on the side, in my free time, I got to know more about blockchain and more and more I saw the connection, I guess. Uh, I think I really got into blockchain in 2017, as most people did with the hype that was coming. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. um, and the, the big fall afterwards, but I, I, I stuck around. I, I was really, really f uh, fascinated by the technology and what it can do, not only the cryptocurrency side, but really the technology. And I saw more and more connections. Then I approached um, Professor Daniel Hall, my professor right now, if uh, he would be interested to, uh, to, to have this as a research topic. And it took me some convincing, but in the end, uh, <laughs> he hired me as a doctorate at ETH uh, on the topic of blockchain in construction. And this really uh, then, yeah, let let uh, kind of the ball rolling. So and 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 led me down the rabbit hole of blockchain. Yeah. So I, I'm not a computer scientist. I really have a civil engineering background. I just learn by being in the blockchain space more about this technology. Yeah that's so impressive and what about you una how how was your journey um yeah i i had an architecture background um so um i'm also not a computer scientist and um actually i heard about blockchain a long time ago and of course with a with a few hype waves i was heard about it more and more but never actually was uh, super convinced um, I was really focusing on in my architectural work. And then I kind of went into a digital fabrication and technology in architecture. And then after a while, I guess um, I aged a bit and I started to be more and more interested in economics, economics incentives and um, uh, social issues. And then I also along the line figured the limitation of architecture as a career itself 
like it, just the role of architects, it's kind of has its own limitation in the whole field in AEC. And then, so I started to look more into other things in sustainability, and then I studied also energy in buildings. Um, then I found uh, Jens, um, so he presents a topic, I thought it was super cool. And of course, in the beginning, I also like, this sounds really futuristic, but it's super cool, and but I don't know, and then I thought like all of a sudden, just feel like maybe my set of skills can can really fit. And after, of course, after I was, I also, I kind of also study on the go. Like I accepted the topic, and then I learned everything on 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 the fly, kind of. And then um, figured that the more I dive into this topic, the more fascinating it becomes, and the the bigger impact it has than I thought before. Um, so I'm very much now into the topic, less uh, shorter than Jens, of course, around around a year or so. But um, I think it's very very exciting. Oh my God. Like that's so incredible! Like you guys have such a diverse background and bring that multidisciplinary aspect in AAC and combine it this field. So can you? share like how were the initial days of brainstorming this research idea look like how you started well maybe i i go yeah. here yeah <laughs> so i mean yeah maybe i need to give a bit of background about this idea and i maybe i can start with um it's not a new idea right so blockchain combines a lot of aspects and smart people have already figured earlier that an address doesn't need to belong to a human but can also be owned by a thing so that's not a really very new thi uh, thing right and there are several articles floating around in the web about ideas like nature to zero or like how how things can all can can participate in the economy and so on so that's not a new thing that's not something i invented um but I was always interested in that aspect. I read a lot of articles. And then there is a there was a coincidence that I connected with a think tank that is based here in Zurich called De Centrum. And they also picked up this idea that things can hold address. And they felt there was a need to showcase this to people through an actual prototype. And they conceptualized no one's one. So they came up with the name no one's one and said, it should be a house that owns itself because that's something that people actually can really relate to and and, and kind of feel and, and get the idea right so that's where my path my path crossed with the centrum and I, I i i got in touch with them and i said yeah let's try to do it and actually build the prototype and i facilitated a master thesis on the topic because i didn't have time to do it myself um, all the way alone and I found Una that uh, got involved. And since then, um, I think it was a year ago we started and it was a really steep learning curve. And now we have a first prototype uh, mostly finished yeah, after a year. So that's, that's kind of the whole journey of the idea. And I don't know if you want to go more into the idea itself or if you want to more focus on the technological aspects. I think there are both sides to it, right? Yeah, yeah like, um... Maybe if you can like focus uh, more on the idea part now, like 
So you started with a house and right now, if I'm not wrong, it's a meditation space. So what are the decisions you made along the way to arrive to that? Okay, this is the final prototype we should do. I think Una can get, give some insights yeah. here. Um, yeah, when I first um, arrived with this uh, idea about No One's One, actually, when Jens proposed it as a master thesis, kind of, we have no idea what to do, kind of, it just kind of throws out there, like, here's <laughs> the idea of No One's One, you, 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 what do you want to do? I was like, what? And then, and then, um, I, I, but I suggested some, some ideas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you said that's my But um, but yeah, for for me, I personally also think for my skill set, I love prototyping and in architecture. I also did Arduino, Raspberry Pi before, so I'm really into actually demonstrate something like a uh, one-to-one scale, like at least uh, a person scale. So I kind of want to go down this road, but of course, to explore this idea, I think my initial was to map out a huge map of what is uh, what is an autonomous kind of autonomous space like decentralized autonomous space and there were so many questions around it and then we kind of um, have this after having this big map we kind of limited our start to limit ourselves like what is possible to finish in the half of year to nine months kind of frame uh, time frame and then we figure that we figure really fast we have to do something as simple as possible since but I, I was fixed that I want to do not only a like you know a Lego house, but a, but a real life um, scale um, prototype. Um, but in order to have it as simple as possible, um, we want to minimize the functionality, right? And then with my architecture background, um, I just think like, oh, they shouldn't have any system. We don't want to you know, deal with water or heating, like anything like that. It would be way too complicated. So maybe just the basic ventilation and the enclosure of space. And then the functionality, of course, is arrived. I mean, I'm personally a long-term meditationer that I meditate six to seven years. And I just, just, it just came into my mind so fast that when you meditate, you don't, you don't actually do anything besides sitting there. So um, it's really, it's in the end, we don't, you know, if um, we don't even need to take care of um, cleaning because meditate, you don't really produce any waste. So um, it was just clear that in order to minimize functionality, it, we should choose this as a functionality. Um, so that's how we kind of just arrived at this uh, functionality. And of course, there were some back and forth with the design. I mean, we were, we were going to have something more robust, like really like a booth. And there were um, some setbacks with some partners, uh, construction partners that uh, didn't really reply us. We waited for a really long time. So in the end, I had to build this in a really short amount of time by myself, kind of. So I was like, okay, this has to be super simple wood structure that everything is possible to lift with one or two person. So everything changed a few times. And then we arrived with a, with a prototype. You can see now this little house. That's, that's great. And I can only imagine the amount of effort it goes into building this prototype at the scale it is right now, because there's a lot of uh, labor involved, a lot of like procurement involved. So uh, was there any time during the whole research you guys were like, oh, whether the code is not working, whether the materials are not being procured and there are so many challenges, how should we move? 
Yeah, there, <laughs> there, there are many, many of those. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's still, still now, a lot of things are not working, <laughs> but at least, at least the basic functionality is working. I guess that's that's the that's the way prototyping is, right? I mean, it's just you try something, it doesn't work. You try it again, it doesn't work. I mean, debugging is really time consuming. So sometimes you have a bug and it's a really simple one and you just can't figure it out. It costs you a whole day uh, because of a simple line of code. And yeah, so yeah, there, there, it's nerve consuming, I guess, but it helped to have a good team, I guess. So we motivated ourselves too. And there was, there was this vision that we really wanted to achieve. And there was also some time pressure, which also helps in the end, right? So we had a deadline two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Una, where we wanted to open the, the house together with the location. It's a new location at ATH called Student Project House, where the unit is sitting right now. And they had also an opening, so we wanted to be ready for that opening that we can demonstrate the house. So that also gave us some motivation and pressure to, to move forward as fast as possible, right? Yeah. And of course, we can talk a bit later when we see the code. Um, as you, everyone knows, blockchain is still um, a growing space, right? So it's very new and the change is so much, even with we're sticking with the most reliable chain like Ethereum, right? So, but still the update is so often and you, you can easily um, just out of date from yesterday to tomorrow and then you have to change something and something suddenly doesn't work. And um, yeah, with the system and functionality getting a bit more and it's just the, the debugging, you know, it's getting harder. So, I mean, when we talk about uh, the codes later, we can maybe um, along the line, tell you some bugs that specifically that bothered <laughs> us. <laughs> For sure. And I, so this is like first of its kind. So there was no precedent for this kind of research. So, how how did you guys ma manage to develop this research uh, without any prototype and connection to the blockchain at this level? What were the ways you were like solving the problem and moving ahead in the research? I mean, we conceptualized the idea first, right? We first um, maybe I can share the paper with you, then I can show you. Is this should I share something or is this? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, all right. Uh, you can. It's very flexible. So maybe I don't know. You tell me if you see something. Yep. All right. So maybe quickly. That's that's the diagram that uh, Una mentioned before, where we at the very beginning she she tried to map out what is actually decentralized autonomous space, what's possible with this technology, and we have here kind of the management autonomous side saying the house should kind of manage its own operations its own finances and maybe its own maintenance and in the end we arrived somewhere here right that the finance and operations side and we kind of left all the other ideas aside for now right so that's how we kind of limited ourselves and we came to this idea of the meditation pot and then we also kind of conceptualized how do we want the technology to look like and i think this this 
illustration really helps to understand the, the various components that are needed, right? So you mentioned blockchain and it's here on the on the left, uh, lower left. And it's kind of the brain of, of no one's one, if you want to say so. Um, it controls the finances and it controls all the functionalities of no one's one. Um, but it's only one uh, a small part, right? And if you have on the right side, the actual building, no one's one, right? Um, with all the sensors inside and and also uh, the the computer controlling the sensor, which we call backend here, um, you, you need a connection there, right? So from the house to the smart contract. And then you have the second element, which is the users that also somehow need to be able to interact with the smart contracts. And this goes through a front end, right? You have a website that you can visit and 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 interact with the smart contracts and this goes kind of both ways right the user can either directly interact with the smart contracts or they enter the space the house senses that the user is inside and sends this to the smart contract so it's kind of both ways feedback loop and um i guess we i had quite a good understanding of how to build the blockchain and front-end side. And Yuna brought quite a lot of knowledge about the back-end and sensor side. And so we kind of combined this and uh, somehow yeah, made it work in the end. But I guess Yuna can say, tell you more, but these interfaces like are, are, are the tricky part, right? And because if you just have a blockchain application, you can do it quite fast in the end, depending, of course, the complexity of the solution. But if you really want to connect it to something else, it becomes a bit more tricky, right? And I guess that was more also the new part in this project. I don't think there are too many projects out there. Of course, mm -hmm. I don't know the whole space. There's just too much going on. So there could be something similar, but I don't know of. Um, but yeah that 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 we tried to figure out yeah yeah i mean um we come with uh, i come up with this um this kind of scheme quite fast i think it's not so hard to come up with these components also but um yeah there's not so much precedence you can study and especially the link between blockchain and iot it's very minimum especially in the sense that it's implicated like i saw like I think I searched through all GitHub. There were um, only, I don't know, a handful of projects that was that was really um, similar to what we want to achieve. So I kind of, um, there were someone built a Lego garage. I know that it was one of my main, I think presidents kind of studied Lego garage projects, uh, blockchain and IoT. And the other ones are not as, the com it's not in the complexity I'm looking for at all um so like i think we started right jens like we uh, if you read the our, our like our paper too like we started with asking questions like what what is this and what are all the questions that involved and then kind of trying to categorize the questions in chunks or in uh, in different aspects after this categorize and we start to this is kind of the conceptualization of the whole of, of the whole idea and when we have this map and then we start to figure out like oh with the time frame 
what we want to achieve and also with our knowledge right so in in the end we are um like a student project house we're a team of three like one of um alex also helped a lot he's have more expertise on like uh, electrical systems so i kind of it's kind of the generalist um, that's like I had to learn, of course, the front end and blockchain in the beginning and then, but then I kind of generalized build the system and Jens has more expertise on blockchain and also front end and then Alex can help with the electrical system. And that's kind of how we worked and how we function until now. That's awesome. Um, maybe this is a good time to showcase a demo of how the front end talks to the back end and the whole interface. Oh, yeah, sure. I think uh, we have a video, right? Do you want to show yeah. the video, Hong Yang? Yeah. So maybe I, you, I, then you can see the user experience, how it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, I'm going there now. One second. share my screen and it's with the also with a little music awesome share sound okay is it good yeah. i i see the powerpoint I just love the user experience. You have thought very holistically about the whole start to end experience. So I think uh, maybe uh, we could go 
a bit more detail into the technical aspect and you could diverse through the code and implementation of it. Yeah, I think the way we thought to structure it is that we start with the smart contract because it's kind of mm -hmm. the heart of, of the whole thing. Um, I, I don't think I have time to walk you through every function, mm -hmm. but I can you can give you an idea how, how we coded it and the, the main functionality. And then Yuna uh, can show you more about uh, the backend code and maybe also the front end. Yeah, yep. I don't know. I think the backend may be more interesting than front end, but also the front. I mean, front end is a website that connects to an API, right? Um, Web3 API that can interact with the blockchain. Maybe we can show that briefly, but I think the backend is probably mm -hmm. more interesting. All right, let me show you just trying to find the code. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here I have it. Good. Can you see that? Yep. All right. So we have um, in in the case of no one's one, there it's actually two smart contracts that that uh, work together. And um, we have one thing called the data contract, um, and one thing called the app contract. So there is two smart contracts, and the reason why we do that is that the house should be self-owned. Um, so really one contract should it be, should not be redeployed at some point because it, it also stores the money of, of the, of the house. And if you just redeploy the contract, the money is still in the old contract. Of course, you could think about how do you implement functions that migrate this to a new contract that's then more advanced. But for now we, th we think let's stick with that contract and it has all the main functionalities there. And in the app contract, that's actually something that calls then, it's a contract that calls into the data contract um, and calls then the functions. And the app contract has more like hard-coded parameters, like how much money do you need to spend to enter? What's the time, what's the price per minute? You can see these variables here and they are just random, right? I mean. We didn't have really time to think about how expensive should be a visit in no one's uh, in no one's one. So we just took random numbers, and because it runs on the test net, it's not a real money that you need to pay, so it doesn't really matter, right? But at one point, you want to change that maybe. So we 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 thought then it's easier to just redeploy the app contract, register it again in the data contract, and then it calls again in the, the data contract. And it doesn't touch the data contract, which contains the money, right? So that's that's the idea why we have two contracts. That's already kind of advanced. Maybe I need to show you. I think I talked mainly about the data contract now because it's it contains the main functionality of of the code of of no one's one. And I maybe need to tell you how such a smart contract normally looks like. And of course, it really depends on the on the network you use that thing and here it's ethereum so the language you use is solidity that's the what it's called it's a high level language that compiles then um to byte code that can be um understood by the ethereum virtual machine right that's the way it works so it's actually quite easy to code a smart contract because it's such a high level language and this works sometimes a bit different on on other chains 
Um, for prototyping, it's an advantage. For production uh, code, it's a disadvantage because it's really hard to make these smart contracts super, super secure. And there are companies that specialize in auditing these smart contracts um, to make them really safe, right? That no one can steal your money in the end or mess with your smart contract. All right, so in the end, the contract begins here. No one's on data, it's called. And what, what it first does, it, it's kind of defining all the data variables that you need, right? So we need, for example, an address that's called the contract owner that can deploy the contract that someone needs to deploy it initially. And then we have a, a bool like true or false if the module is operational, for example. And these are called state variables. So a function or a user can then interact with the smart contract and change this from true to false. And if it's false, then no one can enter the, 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 the unit. And if it's true, you can enter it. For example, then we have we have these for battery states, for um, locks. We have then some data structs which are able to kind of save data within the contract. Um, yeah, that's that save uh, different different uh, different things that are important to know. For example, what's the total balance of the house? Um, what's the what's the the users that used it so far and so forth right and then we have also one for the user so if someone pays the contract um a, a new user gets created and the house keeps track uh did he buy actual how much how much how much duration did he buy did he already access uh what's the actual duration in the end when he left right and did he leave the space? And uh, did he redeem the money in the end? Maybe that's important to say, because the house cannot just run after a person in the end, right? And and say, hey, you need to pay me after they left. So they, the user needs to pay upfront. So they, they send what it's called an escrow amount. And in the end, they get the difference back or they can they can get the difference back. So that's how we did it to kind of avoid this issue. How does the house make sure <laughs> that the user pays in the end, right? Yeah, I don't know. Then we have a lot of event definitions. They are important for the backend and the frontend so that they know what's happening in the smart contract. So when certain functions are triggered or a state is changed, an event is emitted that can then be caught by the front or the back end, so they know something changed in the smart contract, right? And constructor is just to deploy the contract. Then we have some modifiers. They are quite important for security reasons um, to make sure that not every, not only kind of certain people or only the backends can call certain functions. I think that's the most important case. Um, that, for example, you make sure only the backend can call uh, the function check user code for for scanning the QR code because otherwise I could because it's Ethereum is an open network I can I could find out the ABI of this contract and I could call this function right and and then mm -hmm. mess with the smart contract and uh, with these modifiers we make sure that only registered addresses um, can call into the contract for certain functions. Okay, 
I think the most important function to show is maybe the by function. We have it, we have it here. So function by um, where the user calls this function and enters a duration and their address from the user gets kind of passed into this function, right? And they also need to select the username. And we use the address and the username to generate the QR code. Um, this is happening here. So the, yeah, we, we use kind of an encryption method that goes between the transaction address and username and kind of generates this QR code and emits it in an event in the end that can be called by the front end. So that's how we make sure that not everyone can kind of regenerate the QR codes and just show them to the house, but only really um, the one that controls the address can generate this QR code on the front end. And of course, if then the user sends it to someone else, we, there's nothing you can do about it. the other person could enter, but it's, it's not possible for someone else to generate the same QR code to enter. So only an address. Uh, I, that, yeah. So. I just have a question. Uh, so the QR code on, is generated on the front end and the back end uh, verifies whether the same user has done the payment. So how does the back end know that it's the same QR code which is generated in the front end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can show you that. Uh, it's actually one of the trickier things that we have had to solve is when a user paid, how does the backend then know that this is actually the right user, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and we really did it like there, the, the smart contract in the end generates this QR code with the transaction address and only someone that uh, it, it kind of knows the transaction address of, of a user and the username that someone entered. So this combination can regenerate the QR code, right? And of course, this is possible to fake but it's not so easy. I mean, you need to know the address and the username that can be chosen randomly by the user. And this, normally the user doesn't pay and waits two months until he enters, but he pays and enters. So there's really not much time to kind of cheat this system. So it's one way that we chose. It's not totally secure, but it's quite secure that no one else can fake it. And then the smart contract uh, saves um, saves this in a key value pair for the user. So then the backend can afterwards call a function to retrieve if this key belongs to a user that um, bought, if there is actually kind of duration bought for this key, right? So if this is in the end still, the, the backend goes, checks this key, and if this is still zero, there is no entry, right? And if this key belongs to a, key value pair that here has some value that is larger than zero depending how much what the user entered then it's it opens the door because there is a meditation right and if the user stays longer in there that's why we chose an escrow that is considerably higher than the amount you need to pay i mean you would need to i don't know i didn't make them didn't do the math but you need to stay in quite a while until you <laughs> you're in there longer than the 0 0.5 ETH that you paid, right? So that's so how, we, how it like, works. So are there like two transactions then? Like you have like higher escrow than the required 
And once user gets out, there's another transaction where, okay, the remaining amount yes. is being paid. It's, oh, it's, okay. it's, an, it's every time a single transaction. So this is the transaction the user buys. Then the workflow goes on. And when the user presents the QR code, that's the function the backend calls to check whether this key that it was scanned is actually part of, of the smart contract, right? So it really, um, it really goes and, and sees, is this a valid, is this a valid QR code, right? And then it opens the door and then it triggers another function to see whether the, when, when the user actually entered and the distance sensor goes, it says, yeah, we that really de detected something. Um, now, please change the state in the smart contract to true. So we access the space. So now it's not possible anymore to for another user to access, right? So the space is kind of occupied. And this is also a transaction in the, back, uh, in the smart contract. And then when the user leaves, the house again triggers a transaction, right? That says, well, now the user exited, the space is free again, someone else can enter. And the refund escrow is also another transaction that the user can call to kind of get the rest of the money back, right? So it's every time as a smart contract, uh, every time it's a blockchain transaction, yeah. So that's the, the main idea, I mean, the code is open source. You can also look at the code in more detail if you're interested. But that's, I think, that's enough to give the high-level idea. How how did we code the smart contract? Yeah. Yeah, like, great, great job. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. I'll stop share here, and then we can maybe show a bit the the back end and the, the front end how they kind of call into this smart contract. Which part do you want to see first, Mayor? <laughs> yeah, I, I think like this creation of smart contract, like from on the front end, would be good. Like, how do we start? How do we start a transaction like, or as a or like like you had a interface where one creates a like for a particular building like a contract. Like uh, yeah, the, yeah. the front end Mata, MetaMask. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's it doesn't create the contract. The contract's yeah. always there, but yeah. the MetaMask in the front end controls the address of you as a user, right? And yeah. then with this address yourself and the wallet you control, you can trigger the buy transaction in the smart contract, right? Maybe if we can show how do you trigger the buy transaction from the front end. Maybe that's a good thing to show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. Um... Yeah, maybe there's some confusions there. Like the smart contracts, um, the smart contracts is uh, is kind of in the in the environment of Ethereum as soon as we deployed it, so it will be there. And it's uh, why it's uh, important is because it's, it's safe and then no one can change it. And we the front end and back end only call into these functions, predefined functions. So we don't kind of we don't create a contract, but we can call in like a, a transaction basically, and that's the that's the interaction going, and that's also when in the in the graph there are different parts, and you see like the communication between each part, which get tricky and gets a bit complicated. And um, yeah, I can maybe show you the front end first. Mm -hmm. Um, in the video, maybe it was uh, was too fast. Um, 
case, you know? Yep. So basically this is our front end and um, yeah, it was a steep learning curve for me myself because I didn't know JavaScript at all. Um, so this all like progress in uh, in three months to half a year that I learned JavaScript and all Solidity and all this scripts um, in that time frame. And then as you can see now, this is the most important place like the registration. Um, I can talk a little bit about the other parts maybe later. Um, as you can see now, we want to link to a, a MetaMask, like which is a wallet. Um, and now, okay. And now you can see I have account with 7.28 Ethereum, which is on the testnet, so it doesn't worth anything. And then if I refresh my page, and it's it will it will be connected. So as you can see here, MetaMask is connected. And then here also on the front end, it shows your address and your balance, my balance now. So this is connected. And um, and now I can kind of type in any username, actually. I make one for you. And um, because it doesn't matter what username you use, but in the end, we use this username to kind of generate a, a, a kind of identity uh, for, for you and generate the QR code. And I can say normally I will have only five, 10, 20 or 40 minutes uh, selection, but one is like for tests, for testing kind of. And then you can now, as you can see now, I said I want to request uh, a one minute uh, entrance and now I'm going to deposit 0.5, right? So you see it's not charging you one, one minute meditation, but it, instead it's taking you 0.5 deposit. And then now I can kind of confirm this action. And while I'm confirming this action, actually now, like if this action is, is, is successful on the back end of the, uh, of, of like the rasp of the house, it will catch the event that is, uh, that is, um, so this, this action now here, like that I confirmed mm -hmm. will trigger, will trigger event or emit event. So on the back end, I have a listener. I keep listening to the invent change. So on the back end, it will catch the invent and says, oh, someone someone requested the entrance. And then the, the code will be triggered on the back end. And then at the, at the same, yeah? Maybe we can quickly show the contract. Do you have the ad that they actually see that now that you triggered the transaction, it's also in the contract, right? Uh, yeah, but yeah. Okay, here you mean? Yeah, or in the in the yeah, both both works. So now Una is kind of showing the smart contract, um, and what I did, think. Did you why is it why is the duration zero there? I don't know. Yeah. Did you did the transaction execute? Yeah, it did actually because my money is gone. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not connected anymore on the remix. Yeah, I don't. I think remix is not connected anymore. Okay, but maybe you can show it in the no one's one. Uh, read me. I. I can reload. Um, yeah. There is the contract address, smart contracts. Yeah. 
and this is kind of ah okay to show that it's uh... yeah yeah so either scan is kind of a window okay. into the blockchain so you can look into the blockchain and then you can see the last transaction was just one minute ago and paid 0 0.5 ETH to the yeah, to the smart sure. contract right so the transaction did go through right and this mm -hmm. is visible to anyone that's the that's how blockchain works right these transactions are all public on the network yeah and, on and the can back be end, verified yeah and then on the back end at the moment simultaneously will catch the event and then um, it will trigger trigger the uh, trigger like the next step uh, i can also show you the code over there um, if you have so any question, Mayor, you can ask. Yeah. Yeah. So when we first connected the MetaMask, like yeah. using Web3, it, it read the Ethereum address. Sorry, what? Sorry, what? Like using a Web3 language, it, it read the address from the MetaMask wallet to the front end. Yeah, yeah. The Web3, Web yeah. yeah. Web3 JSON is like the kind of the package to connect it. They also have Web3 Python, which what I use to connect basically um, the backend. And uh, the back, because I call the backend in Python code on Raspberry Pi is a bit easier than, than JavaScript on the front end. I use JavaScript and use Web3 to reach, um, yeah, to kind of this uh, trigger this communication between, um, um, yeah, the front end and the, uh, and the blockchain or the backend and the blockchain, yes. Got it. And when you uh, clicked on the transfer, like mm -hmm. it called one one function out of multiple functions on the smart contract. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. It called the transfer the buy function that Jens just showed you. Like the buy function is is I can I can show you a little bit of the front end code now. I think. Um, yeah, it calls it calls can, the can buy function. The, can no, you see you the function? Share the others. You need to share the other screen, I think. Yeah. Okay, now it's good. Um, now it's good, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and as you can see, um, I have so many opened, I'm sorry. But as you can see on here, like these are the, it's called like smart contract services uh, components on the front end. And basically you kind of have to use Web3. As you can see, you import Web3 and then you inject it kind of Web3 into this and define what to connect, like which net, because there's many um, chain that you can connect to. In the beginning, I tested with the local net and which is uh, generated by Ganache and Truffle. And then, um, and then you kind of have to redefine, kind of recall these functions uh, again and define it again, like with the input and uh, with send or just a call function on the front end. And then you will call this function again in the other part. That's kind of how the whole call flow works. And then this buy, as you can see, I called uh, from the no one's one app contracts, I called buy function and then redefine as buy access. And then in, in the components um, of, of, of the registration, I will like say buy access and trigger all the, all the things you can see on the front end. Yeah. So can the front end know what are all the functions deployed on the smart contract? Like, how do you know what are all the functions defined on, on, in the smart contract? You need yeah, to code it, that. that is, 
yeah yeah you need to call uh, that and then you kind of use web3 to kind of um to to call the to call the smart contract and then you have to call which function you want to use so that's why i'm showing you this part basically yeah. you you say like oh i want to use by function i want to use uh, check username check access function and then you redefine it here and then you can use in the other part of the front end of this um, of these functions yeah yeah like the question i was, uh, wanted mm -hmm. so let's say i want to use the same uh, smart contract but i'm yeah. creating uh, another front end so yeah. if i want to de develop a new front end in interface like the procedure is i i should first go to the smart contract know what are the functions defined in that smart contract so whenever i am developing the front end i can call those functions accordingly yeah, yeah. Exactly. you just have to have okay. this okay. address as you can see these addresses yeah. are the unique addresses on 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 the chain and that identifies mm -hmm. this uh, this smart contract so you just need to call the correct address and then do the do the web3 connection um and then you can you can develop using this smart contract too perfect and I don't know, do yeah. you want to more see the front end or should I show the back end? Maybe we quickly show the back end as well. Maybe just one note, MetaMask is, is a, just one way to connect to the blockchain, right? So a wallet connects to the blockchain so that you can interact with your addresses, right? Or with the smart contract with any, which is also an address on the on the network, right? And there is multiple ways to do that. MetaMask is just the most popular way because it's very easy. It just uses an API, which is called Infura. It's quite a centralized service actually to connect to the to an external node and then to the blockchain. You could also run your own Ethereum node on your machine and mm -hmm. connect on, and interact with the smart contract. That would be also possible, right? Um, it's just, that would be actually way more secure but it's also a bit more effort um you need way more, more power on your machine yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's just because it's just for testing and prototyping we chose the easiest way which is kind of metamask right yeah. mm -hmm. it's quite it's yeah. one of the most common way to connect and also i think mirror maybe is not super familiar with uh, with with uh, all this technology so I mean, um, you can you can also connect through Infura with Infura mm -hmm. services, in without MetaMask. And um, yeah, like the the most the best way will be you run a node yourself. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but yeah, this, this is a bit more work. And uh, I, I maybe that would be the next step. I also consider that because then you need to kind of buy a hard disk to have enough space to run a node that could be an option there are some people are selling raspberry pi powered um node units actually you can also build mm -hmm. it yourself yeah so that'll be interesting too and um would you like to see the backend or yeah yeah the backend yeah contract? so yeah right now like we walk through how to trigger an event through the transfer button uh yeah. now like we would like to know like how the backend is listening to that event yeah yeah so um there are quite a few um this is kind of the the main the main function here that i coded in python and um as uh, this this is not super important as you can see here this is step one 
Like I will prepare uh, the house Una, we first. we still see the VS Code ah, front end. Oh, okay. You need to share oh, the yeah. new window. Yeah. Uh. Sorry, I was talking. These walls, I guess. Um, now you can see the back end. This is a yep, yep. code from the back end. And um, so here you can see the step one, like the before, just some libraries, and then one, some global variables I defined, and one global function I defined for the main contract, for the main, no, the main uh, code. So here's the step one that I will start with preparing the house. You have to prepare kind of the Raspberry Pi, some the pins. I don't know if you know about Rasp, you just kind of uh, clear, clean up a little bit and then set up the board. And um, it says it, it's, it locks the door and then everything starts. And then this is like, listen, step two is to listen to the buy invent emit and catch the key. So you start, um, you start, Kind of you, you here. I also predefined that the data contract will emit the events that as Yen shows uh, showed you before, and then here I will define like uh, invent key, and of course I defined all this uh, listening, um, uh, like so it will in, it will like listen now to a to an invent change, but maybe I should go to uh, the listen and so show you how how it listen. So this is the listener function kind of I defined. So you, you can see, I also use Web3, but this is Web3 Python. And then you kind of define like who, like HPV provider that you talk to. And then you kind of just say like, uh, um, this is how you listen to. And then this is also a bool kind of like uh, an event that you kind of constantly try to catch, just constantly running that try to catch a change. And then, back to the main one then so now you will see that uh, they will constantly like run and listening and if something is is returned i will i will like return the the value of uh, of of the event and then like and then this is just like another loop kind of i run through for like for when people want to go in as you can see that this is like when like it will start to like uh, start a, like when the door turn red, and then um, the like when they catch an event, like when the event is catched, it will go to the next step, which is the door turn red, and then the camera turns on basically, and the camera start detecting if there's a QR code, and then this is where in the video you see that the QR code scanning, and once the data is received, it will trigger another transaction on the blockchain as here like um that's it's uh like it's, it's the access um and then you will check on the blockchain if this is this is a true data as the user wants to access and if transactions succeed uh, of course these are all inner loops that you have to go through that's um that's um you kind of just go through a loop that keep checking the access and when the uh, when the access is checked successfully and then it will return a success kind of um, pool that it says it succeeds, and then it will do uh, it will trigger an unlock of the door, and then you have to also at the same time define the time, and then say the unlock unlock time now is is now, and then check access is true, and then you kind of get out of this loop, and then go to the next step. So just to clarify, this is the second transaction uh we yeah. are doing on the chain 
calling from back end first words from front end and yeah. here we need like do we need like two smart contract address one is to access the functions in the smart contract and second is to check whether the users uh, wallet address and the amount the user paid you, so you we had two contracts, contracts. Uh, i mean the two contracts that jens were talking about were actually the more or less the same function but as you can see like one is one holding the data one is holding the app so it's actually you don't need two contracts for all this it's to add another layer of security and when the as Jens explained when the history when you want to change one you don't need to lose all the data so that's kind of a double security with two smart contracts but essentially we're calling into the same 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 sort of um, sets of functions and um, yeah, I'm just uh, in the beginning. You will you will listen to 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 events that trigger. So I'm mm -hmm. actually here. It's not triggering a transaction. I'm listening to if this event is needed. But of course, you have to define which event. This will be mm -hmm. like the new QR code event emitted by the transaction you triggered on the front end. So here, if once the listening the listening you listened, you find out a new um, there's a returned value. And then you go to the next step, which is checking checking the ID, the QR code, right? And then here you go to another Q, uh, loop to check the QR code, and then some exits, um, also strategy if the QR code didn't check right. So um, if I explained it, did I explain it um, well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I think I understood what Mayur you meant. I think that you don't that the smart contract in the end has like these modifiers that check if the address that calls into this function is actually okay right so there mm -hmm. are not multiple contracts for like the backend and the user it's just one contract yeah. and it checks whether the address is the correct one so the access function can only be called by the backend right so it's only this address that can call the access function and the buy function can basically call by any function because anyone can buy access right so yeah. that's 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 checked by the smart contract logic yeah, yeah. I so I, I, yeah, maybe we missed the important step when Jens I don't know explain the smart contract so when you deploy the two contract the first thing we would do is to register a backend address so then to define like because the 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 smart contract that some functions we defined can only be triggered by the backend and so we have to authorize like a backend that can trigger this uh, can trigger this um functions and then rest uh, functions are triggered by any front end so that anyone can use got it and i'm wondering since like the wallet address is unique to each and every user why do we need to register in the front end? Why can't we just check the wallet address and perform the smart contract functions? You can. It's just uh, for convenience that people have a front end to interact with. I mean, you can you can go to the contract address, extract the ABI it's called from the contract, use any service you want with your own node and trigger these transactions from your terminal if you want that's possible but that's very advanced and most users couldn't use the space if they would have to do that right so we created the front end so they just need to enter the values press the button and the logic behind just does the job for them 
and calls the correct function on the on the on the smart contract right but if you're an advanced user and you know how to do this then you can do it also yourself without the front end so you don't need the front end but most users probably do anyways <laughs> yeah and even yeah even with our front end we had a discussion in the very beginning do we also want to include the user that don't have crypto wallets and actually we had a version before that we include the user that don't even have crypto wallets but then we like we said okay maybe we should give a bit incentive for them to get to know blockchain to use the space and it's anyways not probably it's also good to have not completely ex same experience as you just enter a smart space um so we decide to kind of with this strategy now i see and so uh from start to end uh for yeah. a user experience total uh, how many transactions are done on the smart contract yeah at the moment um so there will be there will be buy access you buy and deposit and then there will be a check access which is the qr code identify you and then the third one is to check if you actually entered so there will be then that interaction is with a uh, distance sensor in the house that is sees if someone sit down kind of and then um and then after that it will be a, a exit function triggered and then a refund triggered by the user so there are three functions that are triggered by the back end and then two function triggered from the front end by the user. That's like the whole step now. Okay, good. And I'm wondering since like many times the gas fee is so high for each transaction, do you have any idea if there's either like one option is to move to either layer two Ethereum or other blockchain which has cheaper transaction fee? Like how would you deal such scenario? Yeah, exactly. I mean. The whole point of the prototype is to show we, we're not selling a product, right? We don't want to uh, kind of say, well, our no one's on implementation is perfect, but we actually want to show to people that there are a lot of problems if you try to implement this. It's early technology. And I think now we're on the test net, so it doesn't matter gas fees, right? But if you would move to mainnet, yeah, that's the first problem you run into, right? I mean, it's quite expensive to use no one's one in the end, right? So I guess, yeah, I think layer two is probably one of the first options that you would try to investigate. Does it make sense? Is this still enough security? Or you could move to another blockchain maybe, but there is always a trade-off. I mean, I, I don't know. People think that fast transactions come with the same security on other blockchains. And that's just not the case. I mean, if you have fast transactions on a blockchain, there is always a trade-off to security. And for mm -hmm. a house that uh, they don't say it, but it's always that case. I've never seen an example where it's not like that. Um, so if you have fast transactions, you mostly have less security. And if the house owns funds, and this needs to be a secure environment, you need to kind of make the kind of decide is it worth the trade-off to have it on another blockchain or do you say well that it is what it is it's expensive to use it but at least it's secure right and i think we will there will be solutions in the future that kind of reduce this trade-off but for now you still have it i mean that's also why we have it on the on the on the test net right yeah 
mm-hmm. for the experience it doesn't really matter you kind of avoid this mm-hmm. all these problems right <laughs> but yeah layer I two I, I guess i guess layer two is quite promising i'm just not sure if the layer two we have right now or the the ends end state but the, i think we will see more and more layer layer two solutions that kind of kind of mitigate some of the problems from the layer one right mm-hmm. and Una, if i can request uh there were a lot of like folders and files on front end and back end so can you give us like overview about some structure like what is how it starts from index html then what are the dot js or like typescript file it's connecting and calling uh yeah yeah sure i'll try my best i mean coding is messy right <laughs> um um actually with with the front end let me try to share yeah um with the front end i use the angular framework uh i don't know mayor do you know um so actually um because in the beginning i didn't know um of course i can there's a few options the most popular options you can choose from but um yeah i decided with um with angular i just went with angular though um Mm -hmm. sometimes jens complains And as you can see, I, uh, Angular basically the whole the whole front end is here, and then um, uh, they're just like each one of these are one of the one of kind of the pages. I also adopted a, a, like a kind of um, a framework from from I think it's called um, a, like a, a kind of a, a framework from 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 Ti uh, Tim Creative Tim I think. It's a, it's a template we used. Yeah, it's a template, yeah. A template that I that I've also used. And then um, as you can see, but here is basically the basic components of, of each each page. Um, there's HTML, ICSS, and then the TS spec, TS file, and then the TS file. So basically the HTML is like the HTML code, which you kind of, I would say, this is like how how the components uh, lay, how the layout works, and this is the style, right? Like where we define certain styles, and then the TS file, the spec TS, um, it's not uh, you don't edit it, and then the the TS file is where the function, like kind of the backend function goes. So, for example, for for here, you probably define like here is like when like ng on init is like when the page emitted you want certain function to work and you will define some certain stuff when the page just emitted on destroy is like when this is our the default function that at least included and then on destroy is when the page is closed so you want certain function to to work and that's like a basic components of, uh, of each page and then of course then then a layer on top of that you have kind of routings that's like how you like kind of the the angle in the angular framework you know where to go and which you know when you press a button where it goes to the other components and then on like and then there's uh, like the whole other things uh, all the modules you put and the packages and and of course the contracts uh, uh, here and how how you call like the uh, the other JSON files, um, but yeah, the the main the main basic the basic module is is in is in every page, and basically like 
in every page here, like this, this four components. Got it. And uh, do you have any database on the back end or? No, no, we don't. On the back end. Um, yeah. yeah, we keep a little bit of the, uh, like, we try to not have any back, like database really on the back end now. But um, yeah, like this is this is also a debate that we need to consider later, like to either to save some um, energy um, data history on the on the back end. So maybe I can share you a little code on the back end. Yeah, for now it's mostly passed to the smart contract, and the smart contract keeps track of the most important information. But in the end, yes, I mean if the functionality of the house gets more complicated than just access and exit there there needs to be a database probably also in the in the in the for for the house and that that's a whole other debate how do you save that data i mean there's always also, also tons of possibilities how you do that in a as secure as possible way right <laughs> i mean traditional options or then are like new options like interplanetary file systems or other or, or or like others that are maybe more better suited together with blockchain, right? But that's not something we touched for now. That's uh, maybe for future mm -hmm. work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I was considering a scenario, let's say a user does a transaction on first day, then another user does transaction. And on second day, the first user comes back. Does it generate the same QR code? or and are we storing it or it's like again checking the key value yeah all this information is handled by the smart contract so the smart contract keeps back so you if you didn't enter you can come back the second day with the qr code that generated before the end would still work because the smart contract keeps that information yeah that's not that's not something on the back end because that's that's what we consider very important information. It, it's connected to the payment and the, uh, the right to go in and out. That's all handled by the smart contract and saved in the stored in the smart contract. Yeah. yeah maybe I I so maybe so I on the back end, you would save sure. data like energy data that is not super <laughs> important, but maybe useful to have, right? Yeah. God. Like user or fund related data is really in the smart contract, yeah. Because otherwise yeah. it's not secure. Other, yeah. you could yeah, you could I'm... hack you could hack the Raspberry Pi and then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is also goes into the debate of uh, on chain and off chain data and the and the gas fee, right? Like that's also part of you know my thesis. That was also written as a kind of a leverage. Like you have to kind of design the system security enough that the very important, all the most important status are on chain, but then in order to reduce the gas fee and you have to put the not important, not so important data off chain, uh, for example, stored on Raspberry. Um, at the moment, actually before, I think I had a version before that the energy data up for a certain amount is stored on the rasp but now it just uh, triggered that once um user is asking it's like it's like um every 30 minutes um it's or not uh, 30 minutes yeah every 30 minutes is uploaded to the kind of to 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 the blockchain but it's still very gas consuming so far because we're it's only because we're using testnets we're still doing that but yet yeah, soon i think we're going into a 
consideration that if this data should be stored off chain once it's actually in an actual use case right yeah and like i have seen some examples like off chain do you mean like local like personal or in cloud database or off chain in like ipfs is that off, off chain as well because people store heavy database models on that uh, yeah that's also off chain yeah, yeah. Everything that is not on the blockchain is called off-chain, and then it can be a traditional database or it can be new new solutions like IPFS. Yes, yeah. yeah, it really is something we haven't really looked into it. What makes sense, and of course there is always trade-offs there too, right? So, for example, should the smart contract know in the smart contract that and the battery state of the house is this? really important information or not i mean you could argue yes because maybe if the battery is too low it shouldn't sell access right and kind of it's kind of tricking users right and if you have it off chain the smart contract would kind of to request that information from the from the house and then kind of base that decision on that without storing it and then there ha you have potential for manipulation but maybe in the case of battery state, you would say, yes, that's that's a trade-off we can we can do. That's not so important. I mean, maybe someone cheats, but then that's not too bad because the money is not lost. Worst thing that can happen is the user cannot enter, right? Because the battery is too low or the it, it doesn't run long enough, right? So that would be pro uh, probably a good trade-off. But I mean, you always have to consider this, what's now super important and what's not so important, right? Yeah, and this also goes into a bit more complicated. Would you would you um, have a booking system like that? You know, like do we separate? Um, this is a huge also discussion we had. That um, that uh, do you want them to buy, for example, the access first, and then completely separate the timeline of buying and accessing? But of course, they will make the whole thing a lot more complicated. Then you kind of have to store like also like all the status of the house if it's occupied or not and we just wanted to be as simple as possible at the moment so we say like you buy and then you enter you don't have like a time lag at the moment but of course when it goes more complicated and then we talk about on-chain off-chain storage and then it can go a bit way more complicated than what it is now yeah and i could literally see like the code right now itself is very complicated and like challenging to come up with. So adding more functionality would be like, again, another level of complexity. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, if, yeah if, maybe we can go. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. No, it's no, I just wanted to say the high level is again, I mean, it's a prototype, it's a research project. So we need to kind of make a trade off what is worth implementing and or is it already enough the functionality we have to kind of make to kind of see where this is going right i mean as we said we don't want to buy uh, build a product in the end right we we want to use this as as a like research right as and some experimentation of course from showcasing but maybe it's not needed a booking system to just know how this would work and it would consume yeah. a lot of time and effort to build something like that right I think it would be possible. It's not that it's not possible. That it's just yeah, yeah. is is it worth it given what what the goal is of the project, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So if I were to ask, uh, there is some AC startup who is interested to take this research product 
a project and make it like scalable and get it out like what are the things they should work or they should be aware to take it to the next level <laughs> i guess the first thing is to ask do you really want to <laughs> <laughs> what's your incentive of wanting to wanting to implement this because i mean from our interests it's, uh, it's not profit driven right like um if you um, really read the idea of natural 2.0 it's supposed to be an infrastructure that runs and not uh, not making a not making profit by a third party so um yeah i would ask first what's the incentive for building a company out of this or <laughs> uh, do you want yeah. to centralize it <laughs> um, yeah. but then that's kind of um, go against the core value actually i was imagining on the lines like let's say airbnb for decentralized autonomous yeah. space like if if you want to make that at that scalable where within few clicks you are making bookings and like yeah that's, production that's level. definitely yeah. yeah i think that's that's definitely very um very possible i think we thought about this Jens, right when we were brainstorming yes. with our professor um, Daniel came up also this idea that oh yeah we sh for sure could just turn uh, turn an Airbnb into a smart home kind of because a lot of Airbnb already have a, a smart lock right and then we just need to put the smart lock on blockchain and then kind of and yeah but I in the end we find that uh, this this space that is it's in the end fit our purpose showcase showcased that the the usability and possibility of um, of what we what we imagined yeah and it should be a bit of provocative in the sense that challenge current assumptions how do you, how business are run um and and kind of see kind of also question is this now desirable or not like we're not really judging whether no one's one is a good concept or not, it's just interesting to try to do it. And now all these questions come up, if this, is this good or not? Couldn't the company kind of make value, create value out of it or not? I don't know. Like the whole idea is that it's non-profit, right? But maybe there are smart companies that figure out how you could make money out of that. I don't know. So we don't really judge on that front. Um, we just, yeah, we see where this goes. Um, if if it should remain non-profit, there are some challenges, of course. Who pays initially, for example? I mean, it's a big question, right? And uh, the, the way I could see this going is kind of a grassroots movement that people start to build these. And with, if this is successful and more people use it, there might be more money to kind of expand on this. And But this is really a slow-growing process, like, you start small and maybe it grows over time. I don't think there is really an incentive for a big player to invest a lot of money to just build this and then run it non-profit. I don't think we will ever see this happen. So there might be other ways to kind of make this a reality. I'm not sure how. I mean, that's also part of the question we need. Yeah. We, we kind of try to figure out, right? And especially like, I mean, if if also at the same time the idea of airbnb in the end we want this we want the platform to be self-running and not owned by anyone right and then if we're using the existing sharing economy example then maybe confusing other people then what's the difference between uh, a robot hotel 
than your the system you're building. But it's important for us to stress that uh, the blockchain is decentralizing the system. And uh, so we, we're trying to be provocative and go kind of extreme with this. That's why we're also promoting a completely self-sustained energy system, which is actually considered like the, the whole, like you don't, no one cares really if the system is self-sustaining or not, but we are trying to reach that is completely like a one object kind of image. So um, I think that's, that's how we think now. I see. Yeah, I was okay. I was thinking like it would be interesting if there is a DAO where there are different roles defined to operate for this, and it could be like a non-profit driven DAO community which has some common purposes. But mm -hmm. I I'm curious to know uh, your thoughts on this. Are were there any eureka moments or what were some like moments which once the code or the whole workflow went running, you were very happy. Like... <laughs> yeah, I think there were multiple of these moments, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, when the when the house is running, it uh, always looks really nice. <laughs> when the code is working, we're happy. <laughs> yeah, first time the whole process worked, that was a really good feeling, yeah. Yeah. It was actually quite last minute. I'm not sure if are we allowed to say this, you know, but I think the event started at <laughs> four and we managed to finish the whole process at one or so. So we had like no three way. hours before the event yeah, we yeah, finished. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah, did we, the presentation hard, like yeah. yeah, I I did the presentation <laughs> like an hour before, right? So it was <laughs> and I, I was working throughout day and night, throughout weekends and <laughs> It's a sign of something was... great. <laughs> but when the first time it was the complete process was running, I was feeling really good. Like three hours before the conference. Yeah, yeah, we were like, <laughs> yeah, we did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we had, we had no backup plan. Kind of at at one point oh we said, God. "What do we do if it doesn't work?" And 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 we just said. Like we could spend now time to make a backup plan or we could use this time to actually make it work. And we tried to decide, we decided to not do the backup plan and just go full risk and try to make it work. And we made it work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in the end it works. So that's, that's awesome. Like, I feel like it's, it's same, like you commit something and then by you have so much pressure to figure it out. Otherwise you keep on like, uh, procrastinating or like you had more times but it's incredible like it's it's a big project and it's I could only imagine how much hard work and sleepless nights it went to do this so I would like to move on like a final section about advice uh, to people and researchers so my first question is uh, based on your learning journey like, what are some resources you would recommend to people? You for blockchain or for? Yeah, like for blockchain in AC, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, nowadays there are actually quite a few. Um, when I started, it was a bit more tricky. <laughs> but nowadays you can Google uh, learn solidity examples or tutorial and you'll find tons of examples um i guess 
Yeah, they they change all the time, so I I won't don't want really to recommend something now because they're the ones I used are probably already outdated now. But you find try to find rather new ones from the last year or so that kind of use the latest um, code, right? And try to figure it out. Um, yeah, I think the hardest part is to actually figure out how the wallet works. How do you interact with a smart contract? How do you make transactions? And for that, I, I would only suggest try it. I mean, it if you don't want to spend actual money, go to the testnet, try it. I mean, you really, really learn only if you try it out because it's so different to what we're used to uh, with the normal internet. And then the coding, I mean, it's not too hard if you know a bit how to code. If, and even if you don't know how to code, you can figure it out. Um, there are there are a lot of tutorials. Yeah, I guess it's it's in the end it's just try and 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 make try to make it work right. Yeah, that's how I I did it, and I think also you mm -hmm. did it. Even though I was now able to help her a bit, kickstart off a bit that she didn't have to start from from zero, but in the end. There's always things you don't know and you run into that and then you just Google and uh, try <laughs> to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of already resources that you can you can find very easily. I mean, I mean, if you really ask me, I guess Crypto Zombies is a really good um, platform. That's fun. That's a and, cool one. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. And a really cool, coolly build. And of course, all the official documents. Actually, I think the documentation has been has has been a lot better than a few years. So definitely check out their own, their all their official official documentations of Solidity, Ethereum, everything, and then just get your hands dirty, right? And then just get in. You have to, you have to struggle. You know, you have to go through the struggle <laughs> to, to to earn the reward. So there's not not an easier way, but the the hard way is the best way. And how do you guys? keep up to date with the latest research and trends in blockchain industry. If, uh, if you figure out that one, I'm happy if you tell me. I mean, no, it's insane. I mean, I, I'm I'm watching the blockchain in construction research space because that's the one I need to care the most. And even that's a lot. Now there is a lot of lot coming out, more people picking up the ideas. And the overall blockchain space, oh, I mean, that's, it's just, yeah. I, I don't think if anyone claims they can keep the overview of what's everywhere happening, I think they're lying. It's just not possible. The AI. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. The AI think, overview. <laughs> yeah, the smart thing to do is find smart people working in the space and follow them. I mean, what I learned is that good, good projects and good work, they got, they even if they're not created by these people, they will get picked up by eventually by these people. And if you follow the right people in the space, you'll figure out the, the really good projects uh, on, on the way. That's how I try to do it, but maybe there is even a better way. So yeah, <laughs> don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything to add, Luna? No, I think what Jens says is, it's good yeah especially like I, I was seeing like in DeFi, like in last two years yeah. the amount of revolution it have it's crazy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's a it's super hard DeFi is even 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 crazier at the moment right 
Yeah. Uh, have you ever considered like using some NFT for construction uh, related research or development? In general, yeah, I mean, I actually wanted to implement, I, I didn't have time for that in the end, but I actually wanted that no one's one sends out an NFT when you successfully use the prototype, just, just because of fun. Um, <laughs> that was one idea I had, but I didn't do it because of time reasons, or I forgot about it at one point. And, the, and there, there is actually not too much research on NFTs in construction. There is one by Tio Dunas from uh, Scotland that he published a research paper um, looking at how to represent some geometries through NFTs on the blockchain, which is quite interesting. Um, but otherwise than that, I don't think I've seen too many actual published research. Of course, people are thinking about it. That's, I'm sure about that, yeah. But I do see but, uh, it as a very yeah. important, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I just said, want to say that I do see it as one part of the important next step, I guess, for us, because um, the next step will be like to incentivize a community around the house, right? So, and then we will talk way more about the incentive scheme, how we want to do it. And this will be heavily involved with tokenization, this whole incentive, like how you want to incentivize maybe certain behavior and um, I don't know, have, for example, like, uh, does, for example, does people who come in, meditate, use the space 10 times are, you know, a bit more, have a more say or have more votes than the people who never been? Um, these are all interesting questions that's, I think, coming up. So um, I think that will be the next step. And as you can see in the front end, I try to create this dashboard, which would be later, hopefully, transformed into like a community dashboard and have uh, different users that interact on, in the, on the dashboard. So I think that's the next step. Yeah. Uh, I just had a thought, like, uh, are you guys aware about the loot token, L-O-O-T? So Not like, sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it created a interesting uh, revolutionary, revolutionary idea where in the token, you just describe the characteristics. And then when people started buying that NFT token, they created their own uh, avatar and community-driven development. So the NFT was a bit ambiguous in terms of it led community-driven development. So the way I was thinking is if the NFT token has like some ingredients of the construction, let's say, uh, just saying it out, like uh, uh, some furniture, structure elements, and then the community of NFT holders comes together and decide a type of building out of those elements or something. Yeah, it's a cool idea. <laughs> yeah, I think there is there is a lot, a, a lot. I mean, I think the really next step is how do we i mean one part we have not figured out yet about no one's one is how does it make decisions right i mean for now it's just the workflow of entering and accepting and the house gets richer but we need to figure out now how does it spend money for maintenance for whatever for 
changing the the way it looks or i don't know could be anything in the end and i think we really want to as una said we really want to go down the community route so people that have an interest aligned interest with the house can vote how to spend the money but they can never use or touch the money so that money is always owned by the house but people can kind of vote on how it should kind of spend right within certain rules of course and i think that's the next step and this will probably go with participation or voting tokens or something like that along these lines and what you're visioning is then even probably one step further but it's actually a really cool thought yeah <laughs> i mean yeah, there is no limit to yeah there is no limit <laughs> to to imagination and creativity here i think there's so much to be figured out and yeah you're welcome to contribute if you have a good idea and you want to <laughs> develop it go ahead <laughs> basically house will uh, you know uh, employ the humans for cleaning for maintenance and saving energy and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's no, the idea in the end, but yeah. then you run into a lot of regulatory and legal questions as well, I think, um, that will be interesting. Like, is it legal that a house employs uh, someone? Is it, you, in, in Switzerland, we have, you need to be a like person, even, even a natural person or a juristic, uh, juristic person, so like a company that you can do these kind of things, right? And question is now is this true for this house or not or is it something else right i mean a lot of interesting questions there too regulatory yeah. and legal side that's a whole other rabbit hole mm -hmm. i think for this kind of project that we haven't even touched right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess our yeah our focus will be at least my my uh, research focus in the next few years will be more on the governance side so exactly along what we just talked about and um yeah like uh, i think was was my was the interest to um to continue kind of this prototype and we will like refine it a little bit more uh in the next uh, next few months and then maybe we will we'll try to gather a community around it and then in the end um hopefully that yeah gather the community and then the community will probably want to trigger a change and then we will maybe adopt the physical change and that's when we're, we will discuss like ah oh, this third party like you know who what design what design we will choose and what functionality we will change and uh, who will do it right these are all the kind of will be third party or we will vote on some design decisions and all these interesting things will come up and then in the end hopefully we'll end up with a different with with the prototype maybe differently but how different we don't know yet and we i already got some interesting feedback some people don't want to meditate inside but want to take a nap so maybe in the end after <laughs> after you know yeah in, at the end of my phd will become a nap house <laughs> <laughs> and i just had a thought it would be interesting if there is a discord community for no one s1 that people who are interested to uh like contribute or develop they can join like share feature suggestion or something yeah i think that goes with the community aspect no one uh, uh yeah. no one's one you not just mentioned yeah. i think yeah. i mean we haven't thought about this yet how this should look like and how how we involve more people because for now we were really focused on building a first prototype yeah i guess these are questions we need to ask now yeah <laughs>
What do you think about this house owned by, not owned by, but like presented by a government, in a, in a government scheme and, you know, like more of a, a people who don't have house or, you know, I don't know, just a rough thought. So what, have you ever thought about it? Like how it will be channelized then? Um, I would be, I, I think it would be highly possible and would be a, I don't know, a welcomed also scheme, right? And kind of the initial funding itself is uh, and then the government will, will be more um, willing to maybe run it with low profit low to non-profit yeah. um so yeah. i think infrastructure is definitely one of the most interesting implementation of of, of no es one especially idea. especially public infrastructure i mean there is so many yeah. the reason why a lot of like public infrastructure is privatized moment is because there is no real way to maintain and finance it right and i think these new concepts could be a solution to that i mean why should the road network be private why should the train be private right why should bridges be private or water infrastructure or like city infrastructure right i don't see i don't think we will ever see no one's one in a private context for like real estate or so it's just there is no incentive but especially for public infrastructure, I think it could be a promising concept in the future. Yeah. yeah, and also this concept already actually before, um, I don't know if you know, in the US, there is some also like land that is a forest that is owned by common, um, by the people, indigenous people there. So that's actually just without the blockchain infrastructure, right? But the idea is the same, then that's, like lake right so that's what mm -hmm. we come in the common sense we agree to that it should be owned by everyone and also no one at the same time so i think it's it's a super it's a super interesting direction what if right. no one else one decides that uh, it, it wants to give uh, some incentive to the owner or maybe who is the implementing or the government and some or i i what little did i know about uh, blockchain so maybe they have some tokens so whoever uh, is jumping in that they they divide on the basis of their profits maybe something like that yeah i guess this really comes down to the to the uh, design in the end i think it's all it's possible to design it almost as you want right and i'm also not sure which designs in the end will work better or not i think there will be a lot of experimentation too and eventually we'll end up with something that works i also don't think we need to reinvent everything as you know said there are a lot of concepts that are very similar we have something called the genossenschaft here in switzerland where people kind of non-profitly own, own yeah. housing co-own housing and I just think it's a new concept that could scale these ideas in, in a sense, right? And also maybe bring it to kind of uh, new new fields where it was so far not possible to do it. Yeah. And so I don't, I think, yeah, we can heavily lean on these concepts that were already successful and just try to replicate it in a, in a more digital and more scalable way, right? Uh, I, I I just want to be time conscious. Like um, there are a few like uh, closing questions uh, I wanted to ask, and it's uh, first first is like, do you guys plan to teach any course for blockchain in AC related, or are you currently teaching? First, I should ask. That's a brutal question. 
Thumbs up. <laughs> we are not, no. So far, we are not. <laughs> but I, I think like this is an incredible work, and I see a huge like need or awareness about this topic in the community. And so I, when I was learning more about blockchain, all the examples, even in the courses, are very like technical for a dApp development or a financial website development. But if there is like, some AC specific example in those courses, it also creates more incentive. Oh, we could apply this in our workflow. So it would be good. Yeah, I think you point something. You point out something that is really missing right now. Um, but uh, at the moment, there are so, so there, there's almost no one working in this, and these people are kind of busy with their <laughs> own things. So I guess we we we'll just need more people working on this, and then also more more teaching, more more education um, material will be will be available. Yeah. yeah. But yes, I think I, I, when I started four years ago. I guess no one really believed that blockchain can be valuable in in uh, in uh, construction or the built environment, and I think this changed. This thinking changed a bit, even in these four years. So if we continue with this pace, I think there will be more people working on that quite soon. So yeah, I, I just in these four years, I didn't have time to also come up with educational material. Yeah, maybe maybe that's something I need to focus on here. <laughs> Yeah, I, I see a two potential instructor in front of me for the course. <laughs> and the third one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. So my last segment is rapid fire, and you will have 10 seconds to answer the question, and you'll just have a few words, not a, even a sentence, few words to answer it. So let's do this. Uh, it's going to be very casual question. So what's, which city is in your travel bucket list? Like who answers now? That's the question. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> okay. maybe first Puna can answer and then uh, you can answer. Like we can follow this format. So, yeah. Sorry, can you, can you repeat the question? Which city is in your travel bucket list? Which city? Oh, oh my God. Um, oh my God, Berlin. Yeah, I think I want to go to the States, New York, maybe. Got it. Uh, your favorite book? My favorite book? Okay, at the moment, it's the book of why. Uh, this changes all the time. I, I, I like <laughs> Eleanor Ostrom at the moment. <laughs> Common pool resource theory. <laughs> I also have this book, actually. <laughs> With me. Look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even by our professor. <laughs> I see. Um, if you had unlimited time and resources, what would you do? Uh, how how limited? It's like tomorrow or next minute or. At the moment, if you had unlimited time and resources, what would you do? You guys unlimited. are repeating the question, so you are buying more time. Unlimited or limited? <laughs> unlimited. Uh, unlimited. 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 Yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah, I would do exactly the same, but maybe with a bigger scale, and then uh, 
I don't know, more uh, more freedom, more freedom. That was my answer, Una. Yeah, I, I think I'm quite happy with what I'm doing. I think I would I would do more sports and more outdoor activity. That's also one thing I like a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm just time constrained sometimes. <laughs> I see. And any conference you would recommend for people who are interested to do similar research? Yes. Yeah. I, I just Easy. started my academic road. I don't have yeah, I think the European construction <laughs> conference is one conference that we really try to promote the blockchain stream right now where I'm involved and my professor is involved. So that's one to watch maybe. <laughs> okay, and if you have $50, what uh, thing would you buy? $50. In only total, 50 then only 50 yeah i would probably buy food and and drinks just to make sure that i like i don't know when if i get I the next 50, 50. <laughs> okay if i only have 50 then i will try to use this 50 to make more <laughs> that's a good that's a good awesome so lastly is there anything uh which we didn't uh, covered in this interview and you would like to share that message yeah i think it's an ex it's just an exciting space and there's so much going on i think there's so much we haven't talked about in this interview um but uh yeah just stay stay involved right i guess it's just the beginning of the journey i'm quite i'm quite convinced <laughs> yes. are you suggesting part two for this interview <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> maybe in maybe, a couple of years when we have more yeah. to show. Now we show yeah, you yeah. everything we have now, so we need <laughs> yeah. to we need to work now again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will we have some some other stuff. Then of course a part two. Yeah. Um, I must admit, like this has been very informative session. Like, all first of all, the work is very inspiring, and the way you implemented it, the challenges. I learned a lot and I'm I'm pretty sure I'll spend the next weekend going through the GitHub and understanding and debugging some aspect for it. So um, uh, thanks a lot for sharing it out and making it open source. No problem. So, uh, I think like uh, one thing I, I wanted to ask, but uh, I didn't get a chance. So can you give us an overview about the potential applications of blockchain in AEC? Apart from no one has like what are the other people uh, like other sectors? I'm, I'm writing a, yeah, I'm writing a book <laughs> chapter now on exactly that, and uh, it will come uh, come out in January or February, so you can look forward to read that. I guess it's a good question. I, I'm not sure if I really know, but I, I'll try my best to explain it there. I think it it really like the short answer is like a teaser. I think it really depends on the timeline, right? Like there is a lot of opportunity for blockchain right now for like timestamping data that needs to be secured for like improving payment systems, for example, as well. These are the straightforward use cases, but then I think really interesting it gets when uh, when you think like further than that, what, what what's the next step then, right? How can you change then? I think there is a lot potential to Kind of recreate certain systems we have nowadays 
got yeah una would you like to add anything no i think yeah uh, yes uh, yes is more the expert in the aec because he has been in uh, this space for many years i just started and i had an architecture background right so i think i couldn't add more <laughs> Awesome. So how can uh, our viewers find you if they have any questions or they want to know more? Um, Reach out uh, to can you. can go on our no one's one dot space. And then there's, there's our LinkedIn, um, also the methods there. You can add us if you're interested for sure. We're open to any suggestions, contributions, comments, or discussion. Yeah, if you Google my name, you find me and have a quite unique name, so it's not so hard to connect. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lastly, uh, on a closing note, I think it would be interesting if there is some kind of a hackathon or competition organized where you guys could be a mentor and like, the people who are interested in making such smart contract or apps on a particular weekend, they get training as well as implementation of their ideas. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, sure. but there are, I mean, yes, of course, that would be interesting, uh, but just there are a lot of hackathons um, around. They're not mostly not related to AEC, but that's mm -hmm. what I did too. I just attended these nevertheless, and then you learn some other applications and on the way, then you can adapt it uh, later to AEC, right? I mean, just make sure, I mean, there are a lot of, yeah, just there are a lot of these hackathons, just go out there and they're all, they're always uh, very amazing people there that help you. Um, yeah, but don't just look in AEC because there are not too many there. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Awesome. Yeah, wait, wait uh, for you to lead it. <laughs> it uh, we, are, lacks, we are waiting sorry, for I you to lead it. it. Yeah, we are waiting for yeah, you to yeah, lead it. Yeah, I know, it. I, I understood. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I need to finish now my PhD, so I, I, I'm quite yeah. time constrained, unfortunately, right now. Yeah. yeah. I could see Hans is like trying hard to say and not commit to anything because, like, he already has a lot of things in his hands. But yeah, it's it's uh, we totally understand. So. Thanks a lot, guys. It was an incredible, insightful discussion, and I really appreciate your time for this. Thanks for the invitation. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, too, for your interest. You, bye. Yeah. Bye. bye. Have a nice rest of your day. You too.